Let's stand together. You may be seated. You may be seated. <clears throat> it's interesting that um, most of you either remember this moment or you have waited in long anticipation for this moment. I got to share in this moment with this couple about seven months ago. And now having done 80 weddings... I want to speak to a couple things, if you don't mind. One of the statements that I hear most often as a bride and a groom are preparing for this moment is they say, I can't wait for it to be over. (laughs) And honestly, every single time that I hear that statement, I get like this massive gut-wrenching pain. And I instantly say, if I'm around them, I'm like, what do you mean you can't wait for this moment to be over? Like, don't you understand that everything that's happening in this moment is an exact representation of what Revelation 19, 20, and 21 says? That the bridegroom will meet the bride and the bride will be wearing white because of um, being made fine, uh, being made pure because of what the bridegroom has done. I was like, you, you're literally getting to experience the fullness of the gospel. I was like, what do you mean you can't wait for this moment to be over? And then they'll say things like, well, but Mark, you know, it's just stressful. And, you know, Mark, there's so much to the wedding. And isn't it interesting then that the moment we begin with this idea of stress and marriage, isn't it interesting that it it kind of never seems to go away. We begin with this mentality that it's so stressful and it's going to be so much work. Whether you're wedding, I've done weddings with 25 people. I've done weddings with 600. And I hear the same consistent rhetoric. It's so stressful. There's so much that goes on in it. And all the while, I've longed to say a couple things to bride and grooms. And so I'm going to say them now. And some of these things may be offensive, not to these two, but maybe to you. To guys at weddings, though I would be stoned at times for saying this, I would say, if you haven't witnessed her on mission and celebrating the joy of serving Christ, and if you haven't and don't see in this woman what you desire in your daughter, in other words, if God graces you with a daughter, And if you've seen this woman uh, give herself sexually in ways that she shouldn't, and you see this woman striving after the affirmation of man as she should, guess what? She's going to be the one raising your daughter. Now, God can do an amazing work. God can do an insane work of healing, of restoration, and certainly of sanctification, and I pray that he will. But if you haven't seen this woman on mission, I want to ask you, brother, why are you here? 
Again, if I were to say that in a wedding, like people might throw things, right? People might leave, but, and thankfully because of our premarital counseling here, like all of those are buffers to that, but, but that's consistently on my heart. Like why are you here if you haven't witnessed this woman love Jesus more than you? There is no reason for you to be standing here right now in this moment if that's the case. And then if I could say without getting stoned to every female that stands in this place, I would say if you haven't seen this man self-sacrifice, if you haven't seen his heart burst open for the Lord Jesus, if you haven't heard out of his lips which pour out of his heart a deep love for the Scripture, then I want to ask you, sister, why in the world are you here? Now, those are things I would say to a, a couple who are getting ready to get married that are in Christ. There's one purpose of this marriage. Anyone in this room who's in Christ, there's one intent of husband and wife coming together. And the intent of that is that God would be glorified by putting the two of you on mission until the day that you die or he, call, or he comes home and gets you. That's the only reason why this is happening. And yet for many of you, it was for many other reasons. And so, now for the second time, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. and Mrs. Ty and Lindsay, give it up for them. Come on. <laughs> we missed, we missed the, the exit song there. It's Sugar by Maroon 5. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so listen, I, I, um, I'm going to get more comfortable if you don't mind. Um, last week we began a, a journey of three weeks in talking about gender roles and male and female and children. And uh, tonight um, we're going to be addressing the males. And I want to go ahead and set, this, set the stage for you. Uh, men in here who feel like you're getting ready to... Um, get a lashing or something, I want to I approach you tonight not as an angry coach, but as a loving brother. Uh, that's my heart going into tonight, because even what I just described, the reality of what I just said is the pure reality of many of your marriages here tonight. It's incredibly off mission, the focus isn't the Lord Jesus, neither of you, you see fruit in your life, and so you're like, but Mark... But here we are tonight. We're a hot mess, Mark. And we're married and, and we're, we're trying to stay in covenant together. So, Mark, what would you say to us, to those folks, to the folks who aren't married, to the folks who are struggling, to the men and women in here who are flourishing? Let's take a journey tonight. Let's begin with this difference. First slide here. I think our marriages can be summed up in two phrases. Our marriages are either on a life progression track or on a gospel sanctification track. The life progression track looks like this. It's a timeline of major events. These events you mapped out in journals. These events you scripted and, you know, with all of your friends at one point, you're going to go to school. You're at some point going to get married. And then, of course, you're going to get a good job. You're going to get a good house. You're going to have good kids. They're not going to be like those kids over there. And then one day you'll retire. And um, yes, you know the imminent 
you'll die old, right? Because that's how everyone dies. Like my grandma Nelvi right now, who's mid-90s in a nursing home. Like, that will be a reality. This is the life progression mode and model. Many of you are here. Uh, most of your strivings, most, most of your existences, either as a married couple right now or as a man or a woman, this is your picture of life. Um, you can tell that this is your picture of life because anything that deviates from this, it gives you tremendous anxiety. If all of a sudden the school didn't quite work out how you wanted, if it's taking too long to find that man or woman, and I know I'm speaking to somebody when I say that, several young singles here who are, and many of which who are awesome, God-fearing men and women in this body, and you're having to be patient and patient and patient, and you're wondering deep down, like, Lord, come on, seriously, like, is this really going to be my plan? And what you're wrestling with or struggling with at times is this life progression track. The other side, the gospel sanctification timeline looks like this. I have no idea. I don't know what tomorrow is. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when he or she's going to come. I don't know if we're going to be able to have kids. I don't know necessarily where we're going to live or if I'm going to have the, the exact job that I prescripted. But what I do know is daily I'm going to be on a journey to glorify Christ as through His Spirit and His Word He grows me. And so whatever comes, then that happens. And we take it in stride and we journey through it and we wrestle with it and we claim that He's a good, good Father. Now the reality is, okay, a good percentage of marriages in this room tonight, a good percentage of men and women are so con- have this such a, a contrived idea of what a Christian marriage is. And tonight, I want to take a grenade and just drop it right in the center of that. So if you don't mind, let's pray. And I hope that you hear this coming from, especially you dudes, as a loving brother, not as an angry coach. God, please, through your scripture and by your spirit, I pray, God, tonight that you'll convict us, that you'll transform us, that you'll absolutely tonight, God, help us believe that on that wedding day, it wasn't just waiting for it to be over, God. It was just the beginning of a missional journey together with our spouse. Give us that perspective tonight, Lord, in your great and holy name. Amen. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, just one verse. And I'll guarantee you we can stretch this out pretty far, all right? Uh, Back to the Colossians chapter 3. There we go. Husbands, the scripture says, love your wives. And really interesting, do not be harsh with them. Now there's a lot of ideas that start going through your mind at the moment you start reading this verse. Men, right? Love my wife. No problem. I mean, Mark, come on, man. I... I tell her all the time I love her. Mark, Mark, you don't even know. I gave her a hug tonight when I came in the auditorium. We hadn't seen each other all day. Like, Mark, I love my wife. All right? Well, here's what Ephesians 5 says to change the ending here. Husbands, love your wives. Look at this. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you ladies thought you had it difficult in the teaching of submission, how about this is your calling? 
Listen, uh, my, my sister's in the room. Can we get a little bit of grace here, okay? Look at, look at our call. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This, this is a monumental calling. I mean, this is, we know what happens, right? Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. He resurrects. All of you wives are like, I'm, I sure as heck know my husband ain't resurrecting. So, like, how is he then supposed to love me, right, as Christ loves the church? The key phrasing in this whole terminology, next slide, is this, as Christ loved. Well, the encouraging thing for us dudes is there's a good record in the scripture of failed and flawed husbands. Uh, Let's start with Father Abraham, shall we? Uh, Father Abraham had many sons, and he attempted to have uh, many, many wives as well, okay? Uh, He ends up, for lack of a better term, um, in, in some senses, a prostituting his wife out twice, okay? Lying about his wife. Uh, some of you guys will remember the story. Oh, she's not my wife. She's my sister because he didn't want to be killed, okay? Come to find out, says Pharaoh, like they, they realize that she's actually his wife. Things don't go so well. You remember, like, what's his name? Father Abraham. He's like one of the patriarchs, okay, of, of the faith. I mean, the, one of the fathers of the faith. Let's talk about King David, Writes a good portion of uh, the Psalms. Certainly seems to have a heart for God. In fact, Scripture says he has a heart after the Lord. And yet, he uh, commits murder, commits adultery, and is somehow still a man after God's own heart, right? So some of you men are like, right on! Like, praise God, I was hoping for that exemption, right? Abraham messed it up big time, right? Like, Clearly, David is a stud, and that dude couldn't even figure it out. I mean, he killed Goliath, right? And he still committed adultery. I want to uh, promote uh, and, and cause one thing to be stirred in your heart. Both of those uh, marriages were pre-Holy Spirit infiltrating in all believers. Uh, we, we could say it this way, pre-regeneration of the Spirit. Would I say that Abraham wasn't walking in step with God? No, I wouldn't say that. He clearly was. Would I say that David wasn't? No, he clearly was, but... The Holy Spirit has promised men in this room to all those who confess Jesus. Uh, so could we say that we have uh, even at times a deeper intimacy with the Lord or maybe a better access to, to Christ? I would say holistically that's the truth. Okay, so at the moment that you want to say that, well, you know, David screwed up and Abraham screwed up. Look, let's just go ahead and confess in this room. We're all 100% failed and flawed. There's not one of us. Me is the foremost. Who have, who have gotten marriage and being a husband 100% correct. But tonight's a journey in looking and understanding what this is. And for those of you men that are here who aren't married yet, and you're like, but Mark, this says husbands love your wives. This doesn't say boyfriends love your girlfriends or those who don't have and just have Facebook crushes love your whatever. Um, <laughs> Mark, how is this pertinent to me? Can I tell you how this is pertinent to you? I've never seen a college football team put a quarterback in the quarterback position that hasn't practiced a whole lot. In other words, on national TV, Michigan, you don't see them like going to their bench and be like, you know what, even though this right guard has never played quarterback and he's never spent one day practicing, I'm pretty sure we should put him in at QB, right? He's like 330, he runs a 6540, okay? Let's see what he can do. No, I mean, you put people in position who've practiced, And so men who aren't married right now, you you may be thinking to yourself, but marriage is the practice field. I beg to differ. 
Like, like marriage is the lab, right? Like marriage is the, you know, throwing some potion in and seeing what happens and at times praying for the best. But now you're practicing. You're learning what it looks like to prepare your heart to love a woman as Christ loved the church. So if you think that tonight isn't for you, I beg you to differ. Next slide. But loving your wife as Christ loved the church does not mean, let's look at these five things, okay? It does not mean that sacrifice for the family is always in the name of Jesus. Here's what I mean. Uh, many dads say, but I'm sacrificing for the family by working X amount of hours, by traveling X amount of time, by doing these activities over here. I'm sacrificing for the family. At times, yes, those sacrifices can be in the name of Jesus. I just want to make sure, just because you say the word sacrifice, dads, husbands, it doesn't mean it's necessarily in the name of Jesus. God, through his Holy Spirit, could very well be screaming, you need to stop working. You need to slow down. These hobbies you need to get rid of. What you're communicating as sacrifice for providing for your family is actually rising your ego. Many of you guys grew up in homes where you heard this all the time, but I'm sacrificing for our family by putting food on the table. And again, certain times that is certainly in Christ, but you need to check your heart in the communication of it. But loving your wife as Christ loved the church does not mean number two. It doesn't mean that you are the savior, sustainer, supplier, and sovereign over your home, men. I long to see uh, men, and I see so many in this body, and I want to encourage, uh, encourage you. Like, I, I, feel like, I feel like we really get to journey with, with so many men that understand this point. But every single day it's a struggle to not believe that you're Jesus of your house. Uh, to not believe that by the works of your hands and your hands alone that that you're going to somehow take care of your wife, this precious gift that God's given you, or these little chitlins that, you know, if by God's grace start running around. You are not the sustainer. You're not the cornerstone of your home. Every single one of us dudes who, who have a wife and who have a home have at least journeyed through a period of time where we've longed to be the cornerstone and even at times selfishly long for our wives to look at us and say, you are exactly the man that I pictured. And that being misguided because the whole focus being on us. Only Christ can fill these roles. Number three, what loving your wife as Christ loved does not mean, it does not mean that, the love of your, uh, that you only love your wife as long as. Come on, come on, man. As long as she does this, as long as she participates in the kind of lifestyle that I'm desiring, oh, I'll love her. As long as she'll shut her yapper on these issues. I'll love her as long as she moves in this category, pursues this. Some of you who have struggled with pornography, you may never communicate it, but you think in yourself and you express your love. I'll love her as long as she does what those people do on the screen. I want to make sure you understand and are in agreement with me the detriment to pornography, my friends, it infiltrates the marriage bed. Because the fantasies that seem so real on a screen or on a phone, you long to experience and encounter for yourself. And so there's this idea in your mind, I'll love her as long as she'll do that. If not, 
Again, I'll say the right things, but in my heart, I'll be distant. What loving your life, uh, what, what loving your wife as Christ loved the church does not mean does not mean that because you can recite the five love languages that you know what your wife needs. Right? That somehow by um, reading Christian literature or secular literature on the concept of love, and because you can sit down with your wife and you can walk through the steps of those things. Honey, I, like Heidi, for instance, my wife's first eight love languages are quality time. Quality time. And for whatever reason, I still think that it's words of affirmation. Seriously, I, I'm, I'm a dunce. Like, for whatever reason, I know for sure her love language is quality time. And yet, I'll blast her day after day with text after text saying that, you know, she's the best thing ever. I love her so much. And I'll get texts back that say, cool. It's really nice. It's really nice, Mark. And I'm like, what? Like... And so just because you can recite those things, just because I can say to all of you, I know my wife's love languages, a love language is quality time, it doesn't mean that I love her. It doesn't mean that I'm loving her as Christ loved the church. Okay, and finally, number five. Next slide. What loving your wife as Christ loved the church does not mean, it does not mean that by texting I love you and kissing your wife before you go to bed that you're displaying love. Can I encourage you with this? Do you guys remember how Jesus was betrayed? He was betrayed with a kiss. I've taught this topic in terms of parenting, and I'll hit on it next week as well, but I want to bring it up now in terms of marriage. Men, I'm wondering tonight how many of you are stealing kisses? You haven't earned them, as it were. You haven't loved your wife in a way that is self-sacrificing and as Christ loved the church. But you're stealing the physical side of affection. Not caring for her heart or protecting her heart or loving her as a daughter of Christ primarily. Uh, I hope that you remember, and some of you have experienced this uh, firsthand. Uh, Some of you have kissed multiple women in the same day. The kiss means nothing if the heart hasn't been changed for your wife. So what does it mean? 1 Corinthians 11 says this. How about this, man? But I want you to understand, Paul says, and I picture him with fists clenched, that the head of every man is Christ. Christ's centrality Christ rule and reign, that the head of every man of Christ is Christ, the head of, of a wife is her husband, and the head of, of Christ is God. Again, that the husband, in terms of this uh, equation, is to lead the home towards the person of Christ, but his head is Jesus. It's amazing, right? And I certainly subscribe to this, we're going to see some passages here in a second. It's amazing what a man who loves Jesus, the effects and the fruit that that has in, in, in like a totalitarian kind of way in his life. It's amazing what happens. The pursuit of Christ supersedes marital counseling. It supersedes accountability. It supersedes marital discipleship. A man who is pursuing Jesus, it's incredible to see the fruit of that. 
Wives, I would give this as a gauge to you. If, if you feel distant from your husband, my assumption is you won't have to look very far to understand what his spiritual relationship with Christ is. It must be distancing. Because my experience has certainly been the times where I'm dry, the times where I have gotten distorted, a distorted view of the gospel, the, time, uh, the times where I've turned my back on the person of Christ, one of the first things to go is the love of my wife. She doesn't have to look very far to understand what's going on. A man that's pressing into the Lord is understanding this relationship. And as the scripture is infiltrating and as, you're, as the spirit is just bursting forth in you, then the natural outcome is obedience, including that in the love of a wife. Here's what scripture says on this issue. Next slide. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What a promise, huh? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Can I just talk to the men, again, as a loving brother, not as an angry coach? I don't know what it is for those of you that are struggling in here. I don't know what it is that has distanced that have distanced you from Jesus. I don't know what tasted so sweet at one time in grace has become uh, something that you're fearful of. Uh, I'm not sure what's happened because in Christ you've held this word in your hands and you've seen its powerful effect. You, you've known that it's living and active. And so I don't know what lies you're believing now or what sins are causing a distraction or, or causing some kind of fog to overtake you that you would feel complacent in here. But can I just have a moment with you? Draw near to Him and He will draw near to you, my brother. The things that are, that are at stake are so incredibly precious much of which is sitting right next to you right now or will be one day. And yet we think that, that life will just take over, that will just progress, that will just grow old together, fully missing the reason why he's given us the spouse to extend our life in self-sacrifice mission for him all the time. Uh, Heidi and I really battle through this continually. There's always this tension of um, our time versus the Lord's time. Yeah, but we need this, and we need to set this up, and we need to do this structure. Well, at the same time, a couple nights ago, eight kids in our house, some from the neighborhood, some family, some friends, and just looking at each other being like, we're suddenly a daycare, and it's awesome. But just knowing our life isn't our own. So I want to I bring you into that struggle as we share in that together. Next slide. Now here's another facet of what it means. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the world, said Jesus. I have not come to bring, pre to bring peace, but a sword, he says. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So just in case you're confused, if you love any, anything ahead of Jesus, what Christ is saying is, that person isn't worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me 
is not worthy of me. Are you saying this? Yes, the disciples, there's some other folks that are gathered here. He adds to this thought of taking the cross, which would, would have been the first time in the Gospels he's mentioned a cross. He says in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for, what does he say? What does he say? Come on, what is it? My what? My sake. Come on, men. Our lives, men, as we love our women, as we guide our children, as we prepare to do so, everything is losing this concept of our life so that we can fully embrace whatever the kind of life is that he has for us. And you know who he's talking to? He's talking to people that would be killed for his sake. So I just, I just want to pull you in, men. Again, the Lord to live for your sake. The temptation to think that somehow this is your life and your time, men, and she's your woman, and these are your kids. No, all of them have been given to you by God's grace alone. I say it at every wedding, right? Like you've married 16 steps up. And it's true. Why? Because she's a daughter of the king. You don't deserve her. You're not deserving of her. And yet he's been gracious. He adds to this thought later in Matthew 16. Check this out. Then he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, look at this, let him, what's the word? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for a soul? Very few of us have seen the picture of what it means to deny yourself. But men, this is the biblical perspective of what it means to, in the Greek, keep loving your wife. It's an ongoing action, and that ongoing action is rooted in this continual, under Christ, denial of self. So I want to put some meat and potatoes on this. Next slide. What does it mean for a man or a husband to deny himself for God's glory? Number one, you are not building your kingdom your family, your wealth, your pension, or your dreams. You are submitting to God's plan for you, for God's plan for the wife that he has graced you with, and for God's plan for the children that you don't deserve. The complete denial of yourself is the man that in humility says, God, whatever you desire, wherever to the ends of the earth you want to take our family, whatever seasons of poverty you want to bring us through so that you can teach us about your love, whatever struggles through sickness that you would call us to endure so that we as a family could proclaim the truth of your gospel, whatever marital strife, God, that you would cause in our lives, so that iron could sharpen iron or that brother could encourage sister. God, whatever it is that you desire in our marriage, in our life, in our parenting, God, will you bring it because our life and my life is for your glory. 
I was talking with uh, some brothers and sisters a couple nights ago, and I was saying when the mental shift happens in your life, when you see everything as an opportunity to live for him and as an opportunity to deny yourself, it's one of the most beautiful moments. And certainly we're constantly in that tension, but I just want to, I just want to speak to the dudes here for a second, to the men. In what ways right now are you still trying to write the script because God has called you to something that's uncomfortable? Some of you men have wrestled with a calling to do some crazy stuff for the Lord and you've packed it away in a suitcase and never told a soul because you were fearful if you spoke it to your wife, she would actually affirm the call. And the scariest thing that you could ever experience in your mind was the thought of moving, was the thought of quitting a job that, that was, in your mind, paying all the bills. Can I just make one statement? Can, we, can I make one statement for you? Okay. Listen, need is relative. We used to base salaries here at Matthias on need, and then we realized that that was a bad philosophy because need is relative. Like what David says he needs and what I say I need to live my life and to uh, grow my family, like it's completely different. So David may say he doesn't need a flat screen, but I do. David may say he doesn't need couches, but I say I need nice ones. David may say, look, I don't need a house. I can, I can endure in an apartment. Listen, can I just say to all of you together, what are ways that we have compromised the truth of the gospel with a dream that has been so inscribed in our hearts that we must be broken of this? That somehow the attaining of these things is going to get us anywhere. Now, God has blessed some in this room with tremendous wealth. And you want to know why? So that you can be generous with it. So that you can give it. He's given wealth to some of you so that you can be a generous giver. So that maybe you can be the one that are helping support the missionaries or that you can help fund our We Love St. Charles efforts or that you can welcome people in your home. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, some of you are living in houses and God fully has said, listen, I want you to sell it all, live in an apartment, live in this sort of way so that you can exemplify and embody the gospel to the fullest extent in this particular way. We all have our calling, and I'm just saying, are you tucking it away? With the thought of following a timeline. If it doesn't work, if you don't get there, then you're a failure. Uh, last week I spoke at a, a pastor conference and. Sometimes I wonder, um, you know, sometimes I say things that people don't like. Um, <laughs> and um, so I was at this, um, at this conference and I was sharing. I was like, we used to say uh, in church planning statistics that 80% of church plants fail in the first three years. And I've been one that has quoted that exact quote. 80% of church plants fail in the first three years. And I started checking my motivation. You really want to know the reason why I shared that stat? Is because we were six years old. And what I started thinking about is, hold on a second. When we planted this church, we felt like God had called us to do it. And if God called us to plant this church, and after whatever, for whatever reason, if after two years, he brought us through, he taught us, he helped us understand church and mission, 
And then he said, Mark, listen, I had you on this two-year journey, but I need you to shut the doors. I have something else for you. Can I ask you, is that failure? Is obedience in any regard failure? Men, can I right now reshape your idea of failure? Failure is disobedience. It's turning your back on a great, gracious God who who knows the plans that he has for you. I'll guarantee you they're way better than the creation you can come up with. I mean, you could write all day long the very best plan that you can even think of and God will blow it away. And so the kind of man that submits to that, that instead of like tucking these longings deep down so that no one will ever see in the fear of affirming them, men, you start speaking them to your wife because your wife has great discernment. And a woman who's seeking the Lord can be a phenomenal, phenomenal communicator about the move of the Spirit. And yes, you guys know my story. When we first were called to plant a church, Heidi said, heck no. But you know what? It was an amazing journey to get to wrestle through that together. And eventually, like the scripture calls, she submitted. Anyway, number two. (laughs) Number two. What does it mean for a man or a husband to deny himself for God's glory? You give up your time to serve. All right, man. let's, Let's be real. All right? So in my house, um, we have a pattern, we have a rhythm. Uh, every single night, um, we, uh, we enjoy bath time, shower time. I'm trying to disciple my children in three showers a day. And, um, and so after that time, and they have a little snack, of course, Dr. Short, uh, fruit and no candy. Um, after that time, uh, then, then we have uh, family worship time, okay? So we read the scripture together. We do a Bible story. Sometimes we sing some songs. And then I go up and I put my kids in bed. Well, in that moment, sometimes they're longing for my time because they're scared. But there's so many moments as I put my kids to bed that they're, they're wanting, they're just wanting like two more minutes And I have to confess to you, there have been times because I was tired, because I was already thinking about the thing that I had to do next, because of my mind being distracted, that I was looking at my four and five-year-old boys who sleep in the same bed, and I looked at them, and though they were longing for more time, I said, good night, boys. And then I walked to my daughter's room, my precious Avery, you know, she's sitting there reading the scriptures and just enjoying and, and she said, Daddy, can we, can we share in this time together? And though we've celebrated many, there have been times where I, in my desire for my time, I need my rest, I need my pursuits, I need, I, I need to enjoy this snack that I've prepared downstairs. I've looked at the eight-year-old, who, by the way, isn't going to get any younger, and whose moments I'm not going to get back. And I say, honey, it's, just, it's time for bed tonight. Two minutes Two more minutes of my time and then coming downstairs to my beautiful wife who would long for time and energy and investment. Instead, so much easier to look back on my long day and to say, man, I sure, man, I've, today's been a tough one. You know what we really need tonight, Heidi? We, really, we just need some couch time and some 
you know, let's put on some shark tank and we'll just kick back and enjoy and rest and Sabbath in the Lord. And really, I'm using the God card for my own selfish gain. I'm just wondering if any of you ever um, have struggled with that, men. So, what does it look like right now, collectively, as men, to know that when these disciples were following Jesus, they certainly found, found time to rest, but it was resting in him. They certainly modeled after Jesus, who often went in the wilderness to pray. They, they, they got that. They understood that. There were fishermen. My guess is there were times where they went off fishing and enjoyed fellowship 100%, but they all saw it under the umbrella and under the premise of mission and God glorification. Some of you guys have hobbies that are 100% distracting your family. Seriously, some of you dads of like three or four, you still have like three hobbies, right? Like uh, you're, you're still spending time doing this over here that ultimately in this season of your life, I'm just, I'm just not so sure if that's the best use of your family time. And I'm not saying that hobbies are horrible, but I'm just saying gauge your time. Okay. It's a denial of your time, men. It's a giving up of your time. It's a saying, this isn't my time at all, it's his. And number three, what does it mean for a man to deny himself for God's glory? In humility, you take your fears, your insecurities, and your anxieties, where? To the Lord. Okay, so here's what happens, men. Is you start taking those fears and insecurities and anxieties, and you're fearful of even having them because you don't want to be seen as weak. And you start to feel less significant in your, in your heart or in your mind for whatever reason. You start to battle with these things, and then you start turning to things that you think for even just a brief moment of time will cause you to forget. And so this is the, the entrance of the, the live-in alcoholic, which some of you are deeply entrenched and you've convinced yourself that those four glasses of wine every night to calm yourself down are fine. You've convinced yourself that you're deserved of X amount of food to bring you comfort. Uh, you've allowed yourself to believe that um, watching pornography and masturbating once a month for a stress reliever is a good thing so that you don't lust after other women. The man who denies himself is the kind of man that knows there's only one source and only one place to go, and that's to the Lord. So God, here are my insecurities. Lord, you know my struggles. God, here's the, way, here's the ways that I'm compensating. God, here are all my fears right now, Lord. God, here, here's my joys. Father, here they all are. I know, God, that you'll bring relationships in my life to journey with me. I know you'll bring community in my life that, that I can share some of these things too. But, but the man after God's own heart is the man that brings all of this stuff to the Lord and says, God, I know when I'm weak, you're made strong. So here are all of my real weaknesses. It's not the kind of man that sticks out his chest in some masculine sort of way and believes that he needs to be some gladiator image to be a man. It's actually much the opposite. That's why it's so interesting, isn't it? Next slide. That this text says this. Husbands, love your wives and what? Do not be what? Harsh with them. So now all of a sudden you start seeing some really, really interesting language 
about what it means to love and what it means to deny that love. Can I show you this? Check this out in 1 Timothy 6. This will be incredible. But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Hold, uh, uh, hold on to the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Did it, does anyone see the two words connected that I do? Next slide. Check this out. Does anyone see those two words? The words gentleness and fight are in the same sentence, men. Right? So we love the banner verse, fight the good fight of the faith. We're like, heck yeah, man. So, you know, put on my Jesus boxing gloves. Got to slay me some demons today. And yet the idea and the concept of the man who fights is connected with gentleness. All right. So can I talk to the man in here who's raised his voice at his wife? Anybody? By raise of hands? Mine's being raised right now. All right, a few of us, and some of you are going to have your wife raise her voice at you later <laughs> because you didn't accept it. Uh, to the men who have, as the Greek implies here, who have become embittered towards your wife for whatever reason. Uh, for the men in here who have thrown daggers at your wife. For the men in here who have let out tremendous amounts of anger at times and you wish you could get some of those conversations back to those men, to me. Can I ask you right now to see in all humility this woman before you as not just a daughter of the king, which that is her complete identity, but the daughter of the king that's been graced to be united with you on mission until you die or he comes home. And so the harsh words that would be spoken to her, the angry, the embittered words, the words that would be directed to try to cut at her, the words that you're hoping would show her that you're the one that's in authority, that you're the domineer, that that you're the one that's steering the ship, that those words... You've convinced yourself in your mind uh, because you haven't repented of some of those things and you've com- continued to bottle those things up. Can I just connect with you the fight to gentleness? Men, you're called to fight. You're called to fight for your wife. And I'll tell you right now, I've shared tons of stories, man. I mean, there have been dudes that have tried to step already to my eight-year-old daughter. And I'll, I'll be darned if I'm just going to lay down. Like, heck No. Those dudes, those are fighting words. I'm called to fight for my kids. As a shepherd, I'm I'm called to fight for you, but that fight is in unison with humility and gentleness. With love. And so maybe tonight, like, there's this massive shift of what it means to fight the good fight. And it's not that the boxing gloves come down. It's that we realize he has already fought it. So can I show you this text? Check this out in Romans 8. Uh, Next slide. In all these things, we are more than, what's the word? Conquerors. Through what? Through him 
who loved us. So in other words, every man in this room gets the opportunity to be freed to love his wife in a self-sacrificial way because of his love first. This text goes on to say, just to reiterate, the famous uh, piece of this text, uh, next slide, is for I am sure that neither death nor life, remember, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Men, we can love our wife because of the love of Christ that is real. We get this opportunity, men, in this moment right now to humble ourselves, be broken and purged of our pride, and say, God, will you do such a work of self-denial that we could literally see the rest of our lives as an opportunity to sacrifice, not our blood, meaning the atonement for our sin, but our life being called in obedience to you. Man, there are so many of you tonight that have been called to do crazy things in the gospel, empowered by the Spirit, and you've been denying them in the name of your own story. And I'm just wondering tonight, what would happen if you denied yourself? Man, there have been so many of you who have been feasting on the pleasures of this world, building your own stories, trying to encompass your own dreams. I'm wondering tonight, what would happen if you would deny yourself? If you would invite the Lord into your story and confess your fears, God, I'm so fearful of failure. God, I'm so fearful of not being able to provide the food on the table for my family. God, I'm so fearful of all of these things. I'm wondering tonight what would happen if you just brought them all to the Lord. I've told you guys a story before, but the man in my life that, that I've looked to to understand what manliness is, uh, is my grandfather. His name was Bernie. My uh, first son's middle name is Bernie. And I've told you guys the story, but when I would go into his room and see on the side of his bed, uh, I was always curious about why the carpet was the way that it was. And one day I asked my grandma, who's still living, I mentioned her earlier. I said, Grandma, why, are, why is the carpet like this? And she told me because he never said she told me that's where grandpa prays. And so however many times a day, whatever it looked like in his rhythm, the carpet was worn down to the baseboard because my grandpa, in humility, cried out to the Lord. And so tonight what we've done is we've made a gigantic altar uh, as I was growing up many times taking communion, I had the opportunity to take communion on my knees. And tonight, as the, as the church, as the body of Christ, we're going to get the opportunity to do that. Here in a second, husbands, wives, tonight together, an opportunity for you to come and to kneel and to take communion, maybe serve one another. There's plenty of space. Husbands, maybe an opportunity as you're wrestling in your own heart of all the repentance that has to happen, all the domineering, the lack of spiritual leadership, the, the lack of self-denial, the ways that Christ hasn't infiltrated your own heart. In that moment as you serve your wife, men, 
What an opportunity to realize that Christ and His grace are enough for your sins. Uh, for others of you who are men in, in this room, not married or single, or what an opportunity to come and to ask God and to pray and, and, and plead to the Lord for Him to empower you. For those of you women in here who are not married and you're, you're, you're longing for a husband and you're wondering what's next, what a great opportunity to receive these elements and, and submit your life again to the plans of the Lord. God, you know I'm struggling with patience. You know what I desire. God, help remind me again that you're sovereign and that you're king. Over on the far wings as well, on both sides, we have uh, some areas with some cushions. So those of you that, that maybe want to kneel down but your knees are bad, we, we invite you to do that. There's also a table on this side for those that can't kneel at all but just desire to take communion tonight. There's no rush right now. So couples, you may come up here and, and spend you know, 30 seconds, a minute, whatever time you need up here just to pray. Let's not form lines up here. Let's just let the Spirit work and we can worship and and just enjoy this time of together as a body saying, God, we want our marriage to 100% be on mission for you. That's it. We want to glorify you with our life. We want to seek your will for us. So God, help us submit to your plan. So take time, prepare your heart. And as God calls, come and kneel. And in the submissive form, let's share in the bread and the cup that represents the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus. God, please tonight, encourage the men that feel inadequate. Remind them that they are, but in you they're more than conquerors. Encourage the females that are fearful that they're men will never grow or be sanctified. I pray, God, that you'll give them patience and help them, God, pray for their husband. I'm praying, God, that what comes out of this body would be men and women wrestling through all the toils and the struggles, but men and women that 100% God desire to follow you. So come whenever you're ready.